Good morning, City Hill. Or dare I say, Merry Christmas, City Hill. I think it's white enough out and it's December, so we'll enjoy that greeting of Merry Christmas to everybody. Um, this morning, I launch out on a new sermon series on angels. This is a new topic for me, and I found it delightful as I began to study what the Bible has to say to us about this. And you might say, well, that's nice, but why? Why should we take some weeks, some time, and study about angels? Well, I'm glad you asked that. First of all, because there is a mania about angel in our society, about angels. There's a lot of books written about angels, angelic visitations, angelic encounters. There are stores that sell only angel merchandise in our world. You can have ornaments about angels, angel clothing, angel purses. There are soldier angels to protect those in the military. Uh, death angels. There are, even we have a city called Los Angeles. City of the angels. And, I mean, come on, how many of you are actually going to have an angel on top of your Christmas tree? There you go. We have angels all around us. There's a mania about it going on in our world. And secondly, with all the hype, as in the bumper that you just saw, the video bumper, that there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of thoughts about what angels are, what they do, do they exist. There's a lot of confusion about it that I think the scriptures can clear up for us. But the real reason that I'm excited about talking about angels is that I believe angels, beyond all the things that they do, I believe that they work as a reflection. That they are, as we come to understand a bit about who are these heavenly messengers of God, the glory is not for the angels. The glory is that our awe and our wonder for God would increase. And that's my heart and prayer for our church in this Christmas season. I feel like the Lord just speaking to us that we want, my hope is that our wonder and our awe for Almighty God would increase. With all the commercialism, but even beyond that, even as Christians, sometimes our walk with Christ becomes so personal, which is very good, so relational, which is very good, that we lose some time that awe and wonder of Almighty God. And I believe angels, as we come to understand how God uses them in our world, my heart and prayer is that your awe, your freedom to wonder of the marvelous things of God would increase. That's my heart and my prayer for us this Christmas season. Ephesians 1.8. I read Ephesians 1.8 in the New International Version. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. I want to read that again. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, that be opened or flooded with light, in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches in his glorious inheritance in his holy people. May the eyes of your heart be opened. May the eyes of your heart be filled with the light of God. You see, each one of you, I believe that most of us here are believers, followers of Christ, and when you gave your heart to Christ, 
God gave you spiritual eyes. He gave you eyes to see things that you could not see before in the Spirit. And yet sometimes we can be the Christians that although we, God's given us those spiritual eyes, we continue to see just with our natural eyes. If you can imagine me this morning walking around with my eyes closed, trying to get up and down the platform, trying to feel my way around, you might say, Kent, Kent, open your eyes. That'd be a good thing to say. Well, I want to tell you that in the spirit. Open your eyes. Open your eyes. Don't let those spiritual eyes be closed. God has so much more for us in this world, and God wants to open our spiritual eyes. So tell somebody beside you, open your eyes. Open your spiritual eyes. <clears throat> Let's pray as I get going. Dear Jesus, I pray that our spiritual eyes, the eyes of our heart, would be open. Father, help us to see what we can't see in the natural. I pray that we could see the world through your eyes as you see it, God. Not just as we see it, but as you see the world. May our eyes be open to the spiritual reality that surrounds us today. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start with a story out of 2 Kings 6. It's a wonderful story in the Bible. A little background before I read the scripture. The background is that Israel was God's chosen nation. It was the apple of his eye, the chosen nation of Israel. And as was the custom of surrounding nations, they would often go to war with each other, conquer towns, lands, belongings, goods. The nations would war against each other. But within Israel was a prophet of God named Elisha. He was, Elisha came after Elijah. And Elisha was the prophet of God. This is around the 9th century B.C. And it, Elisha lived with his servant about 12 miles north of Samaria in a town called Dothan, if we have that map here. So in Dothan, just a little bit north, 12 miles north of Samaria, Elisha lived with his servant. So you ready for the story? All right. So starting with verse 8. Once when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servant, saying, At such and such a place shall be my camp. This is his strategy. This is where we're going to attack. But the man of God, Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to that place about which the man of God had told him. Thus he used to warn him that he saved himself there more than once or twice. All right, pause. This is cool. So Syria is going to attack Israel. God reveals it to Elisha. Elisha sends word to the king. The king sends word down to that area. And every time Syria goes to attack, they're ready for him. Who wants to have a guy like that in your army? This is great. You have a, a spiritual spy named Elisha. So the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? 
saying, who's the spy? Who's the informant among us? And one of his servants said, none, my lord, O king. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. In the most private part of your world, Elisha knows what you're saying. And the king of Syria said, go and see where he is, that I may send and seize him. It was told, behold, Elijah is in Dothan. So we sent their horses and chariots and a great army. Say great army. <clears throat> a great army. And they came by night and surrounded the city. So you got to imagine thousands of armed warriors, chariots, horses surrounding this little town all to conquer or to grab one old man, unarmed, little old guy, picture him in his robe and a beard, and the armies of Syria come against him. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, the man goes out, steps out of his house, and behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant says, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Scary thing to wake up in the morning, right? Wake up in the morning, there's 10,000 army soldiers, and their focus is your house. And Elijah said, Don't be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Let me read that again. Don't be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, if you were the servant of Elisha, come on now, what would you be thinking right then? What's that? Guy, guy's gone over, right? I mean, there's 10,000 soldiers about to attack, and there's two of you. In the natural, we'd say, come on. Dude, wake up. This is not practical. This is not reality. You've got to open your eyes and see how bad the situation really is. But Elisha said, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elijah, I can just kind of see Elisha just kind of shaking his head. And he says, O oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. All of a sudden, everything changes. From the two of us against the 10,000 of them, he realizes it's the two of us and the chariots of God the armies, the hosts of heaven. He saw a reality that he had not seen before. And the Syrians came down against him. Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, please strike these people with blindness. I can just see Elisha just calm as a cucumber. All the armies, and he's just calm as can be. Lord, just strike him with blindness. <clears throat> so he struck them with blindness in accordance to the prayer of Elisha. Notice the dichotomy here. The dichotomy is that you had a, 
you have an army that could see, and as they come to attack, the entire army goes blind. And you have a servant who was blind, and God opened his eyes so he could see. He could see the reality of the spiritual world in which they were living. And Elijah said to them, speaking to the Syrian army, this is not the way, and this is not the city. I'm sorry, I just could not help but thinking of Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> These are not the droids you are looking for. This is not the city, and this is not the man. It just struck me. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man you seek. And he led them down to Samaria. It's a 12-mile walk. I'm trying to picture this. Follow me. So now you have 10,000 blind, I mean, I'm guessing, I don't know how many, but thousands of blind soldiers and their horses and their chariots, and you have one elder man with his staff. For 12 miles, they're stumbling, walking along some road until, I mean, I don't know how many hours that must have taken. You don't walk fast when you're not looking, when you can't see. So for hours, they followed this man, totally in charge of this army. And they walk into the middle of the city of Samaria. As soon as they entered Samaria, Elijah said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men so they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes and they saw. And behold, they're in the midst of Samaria. They're inside the walled city. So you have to imagine as these army enters into the courtyard of Samaria, I am certain that every rooftop had archers. And they had all the armies of Samaria just ready to pounce. As soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elijah, My father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? And Elijah said, You shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those you've taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them, that they may eat and drink, and go home to their master. So the king of Israel prepared for them a great feast. And when they'd eaten and drunk, he sent them away, and they went to their master. And the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. Isn't that a great story? Can you imagine they go back to their master and they go, he says, what happened? He says, well, you know, we were going down, and we all went blind, and they led us into the city, and then instead of killing us, they gave us this great banquet, and here we are. And there's so many great principles in this story. One to me that just stands out is the truth of fighting evil using kindness. The power of kindness to destroy evil. They could have just struck them down. That would have seemed to be the natural thing. But with their kindness, they turned away the attacks upon their cities. They destroyed evil with kindness. Good lesson for us. But what jumps out at me is the reality of the spiritual world. Where are you in this story? When you look at the world, do you see through your natural eyes or do you see through the eyes of God? That's a challenge for us because it's so easy, especially in our world today, to just see things through your natural eyes and believe that that is the end of the story. But it's not. In our society, we say things like something must be real to be authentic, 
has to be tangible, touchable. Our society says that the spiritual world doesn't really exist. Religion is the opiate of the masses, said Karl Marx. God is dead or never existed. Your life and your existence is nothing but a cosmic mistake, a fluke of nature, random chance in the universe, that when you die, you cease to exist. So eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow tomorrow we die. That's a lot of the messages that we have floating around us in our society today. But since you've left the comfort of your home and come through the snow this morning, I think it would be fair to say that you don't believe that. Amen? That you believe there's more to this world than simply the physical world. You believe with me that in your heart, in your spirit, that there is a God above. There's a personal God that knows your name, that knows everything about you. That when we die, we do not cease to exist, but there is an eternal life waiting for us, for those who put their trust in Christ. And that you and I exist of a body, a soul, and a spirit. And so many times our focus is simply on the physical, on the natural. But I think the Lord wants to lift our eyes. He wants to open our eyes like the eyes of the servant of Elisha to see more of the spiritual world in which we live. And one might counter ideas or thoughts about the spiritual world and say, prove it. Prove it. But when somebody says, prove it, what I hear for them is empirically prove what you're saying. So, a little illustration this morning. Not too profound. So you can empirically prove 2 plus 2 is 4, right? We can prove it. We can count them. 1, 2, 3, 4. That's provable, countable, measurable. Or we can find out how tall somebody is. Let's, how tall are you? Yeah. All right, we're going to prove that. All right, so we go out here, we go. Yep, that's about right, 5, 7. All right. <clears throat> we can prove it. We can measure it. We can say, no, it's really 5, 7 and a half. She's growing a little bit. We can prove, we can argue empirically. And there are things that can be known that way. But let me ask you, how do you know if someone loves you? Prove it. Now, I know my wife loves me. And I know that as well as I know that 2 plus 2 is 4. I know it. But I can't prove it on a sheet of paper. I can't prove it mathematically. I can give you all sorts of reasons why I believe that, while I, how I know that, but there's different ways to understand things. Any student of epistemology, which is a study of knowledge, or how we know what we know, knows that there's various ways of knowing that. How do you know if someone's kind? Do you know kind people? Prove it. How do you you prove it? There's different ways of knowing those things. How do you know when you feel sad? You ever felt sad? How do you know that? How do you prove it? You you say, well, I can't really, you know, I just feel it. Well, does it make it less real because you can't empirically prove it? No, it doesn't. There are various ways to know the things that we know.
And so it is with the spiritual world. On a deeper level in our heart, we know that there is a God. When we read Psalm 19, 1-4, it speaks of how the creation shouts to us that there is a God. When we see the gorgeous, beautiful creation that God's given us, we go, there is an intelligent design behind all of this. And it's not just mathematically figured out. It's something that resonates with our spirit. And I, I believe that inside of us, we have a, a God meter that resounds to truth. That if you hear a lie and you don't hear the other side, you may believe a lie, but you ever been talking and all of a sudden you hear a teaching or something and your heart goes, you know, that, that's just right. That's, that's good. That's truth. There's a, something of God in us that resounds to truth. And so it is when we see the creation, our heart speaks of God. It gives glory to God. Psalm 19, 1 through 4 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There's no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the earth. What the creation says is there is a creator. When you look at a sunset or the, the nature, when I, go, I love to go hiking up to the boundary waters. It just shouts, there is a God. There is a God, a God of beauty, a God of order, a God of balance that has made this world as it is today. And the creator of this world knows that we need things to help us understand him. Three things he's basically given us, or three key things. One, the creation to understand God. Two, he's given us his word. He knew that the word would be helpful to us. Not just living out in creation, but he gave us the word of God to reveal God to us. And thirdly, he's given us his son, Jesus Christ, to see God in in Christ on earth, in Christ's love and humility and sacrifice and all that Christ was to us, these are things that reveal God to us. And as we move towards Christmas, my heart is that we would grow in our understanding and in our ability to understand and see the spiritual world. And one of the ways that God does that is through angels. And Boy, I tell you, I've never preached on angels. And the danger, there's two dangers here when you talk about angels. One is that you're going to go to the crazy side. You know, that there's angels in every corner and that there's angels. And we can get crazy about seeing angels behind every bush, right? We can go crazy. But I think our danger normally is the other extreme. That we have no understanding, no room, no place for the angels of God. And I believe God wants to open our eyes to how he uses angels in this world today. And this is not simply an interesting topic or a point of intellectual debate. <clears throat> you know, it used to be that some of the great minds of the faith would argue endlessly over how many angels could dance on the head of a pin. Long debates, conferences, and you know the reality is, 
it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant to life. We don't want to be those people, amen? We don't want to be a people that get so caught up in the theological minutiae when there's a world that needs Jesus, when there's a world that needs to come to know him and that God has given us opportunities to preach the gospel and to make a difference in this world. We don't want to get lost in the stupidity of some of these arguments. I would call the argument of how many angels can dance on the head of a pin pointless. <clears throat> um, sorry. <clears throat> that was good, though. <clears throat> As we study angels, let your heart be filled with awe. If nothing else happens, as we study and look to how God uses angels in the Bible and in this world, let your heart be expanded. I'll tell you what, if I was preaching and one of these angels just manifested itself right here, your heart would be filled with awe and terror. If a 8, 10, 20 foot flaming angelic being with a flaming sword appeared, there would be awe in your heart. It's why the angels, whenever they appear, what's the first thing they say? Don't be afraid. Why is that? Because they're terrified. I mean, I'm telling you. I don't, and what they do is we, they, they fall down on the ground. They're so scared. Their legs go out. They fall down. Because angels are powerful, incredible beings. And my heart is that we would say with those who encountered angelic beings, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. That's the message of the angel. That's how we should respond as we go, oh, glory to God. There's a very real spiritual world there that God uses to impact humanity. You know, the Bible speaks of angels 280 times. Its angels are mentioned in 34 of the 66 books of the Bible. We got stories where donkeys encountered angels. And if a donkey can see an angel, how about us, huh? Hopefully we can do better than the donkey. Donkeys that see angels. A man wrestled with an angel all night. An angel stopped Abraham from sacrificing his son. You say, well, Kent, how many angels are there anyway? Well, no one knows. But there is a numbering of the angels at one point in Revelation 5.11. This is the Apostle John. I beheld and heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the beast, and the elders. I hear many, I think. 20, 50, lots of them. Oh, no. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000s and thousands of thousands. So how many is that, math guys? That's a lot of angels, right? 10,000 times 10,000 is 100 million. And then he adds, and thousands of thousands. So you got millions, 100 million and more angels worshiping around the throne of God. 
for the football players among us, that would fill of stadiums that hold 50,000, that would hold 20, it would hold 2,000 football stadiums full of angels. A lot of angels. Let's talk about them for a minute. They were created beings. They are not gods. Angels were created by gods. And their purpose, they are messengers of God and they exist to worship the Lord. And among the angels was a chief angel called Lucifer. Now we think of that as an <clears throat> evil term, but initially it was not. Lucifer was among the highest of the angels. Some think of him as the director of worship around the throne of God. He was glorious and beautiful. The scripture says here that he was the model of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. Ezekiel chapter 28. So he was a magnificent being. And yet in his greatness, in his splendor, his role was to worship God. His role was to give glory to God. And somewhere in their pride entered into his heart. It says in Isaiah 14, 12, and this is speaking of a king but really it's speaking of the power behind an evil king, which we understand to be the power of the devil himself. And he says, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the assembly on the heights of Zion. I will ascend to the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Did you hear, I will, I will, I will, I will? Where the pride had entered in, he no longer wanted to give glory to God, but he wanted to be glorified himself. And I, I would just pause and say, let's take note of that. Ask yourself in your own lives, is your life set to bring glory to God? Is your life set that any successes, anything you own, anything you do, that the glory goes to God who gave it to you, who gave you the abilities, that God will be glorified? Or do you hear yourself saying, I will, I will buy this, I will build this, I will become this, I will study. If you hear those words too much, pause, stop. Because our, God wants our hearts to be that everything we do brings glory to God. Pride can enter into our lives so easily. And it's a very great danger as it was to Satan. And the result of Satan's rebellion is that one third of the angels, deceived by Lucifer, rebelled against God and were cast out. 2 Peter 2.4 if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment. Jude 1, 6, the angels who did not keep their position of authority abandoned their proper dwelling. He's kept these in darkness, bound with everlasting chains. So there was a rebellion among one-third of the angels. This is far above our pay grade, right? It's above our ability to understand what's happening in the heavenlies. So who are these angels? Well, messengers of God. 
glorious, powerful messengers of God who declare and promote the will of God on earth. These are not little cupids. When you think of the little angels, little bow and arrow, that is not what we're talking about here. We are talking about big and bright and powerful and fearsome and awesome messengers of our God. And at times, these angels can take on the appearance of men. I think this is exciting, that they can look just like you and me. I mean, I suppose it's feasible that one of you is an angel. Well, I know my wife's an angel. <clears throat> but one of you, maybe there's two out here. It says in, I love this verse, in Matthew 18.10, See that you do not despise one of these little ones, speaking about children. Right? Oh, excuse me, not yet. Hebrews 13.2, 2, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it, which means they come incognito. They come, I thought, I wonder how many of the people came through the door yesterday. I didn't know a lot of people came through the door, the Christmas store. Is it possible some of them were angels? Met a guy from Cameroon. Maybe it was an African angel. Met different people, Hispanics. Maybe they were Hispanic angels. Maybe they were little children. I don't know. My thought is, they look pretty normal to me. They look like real people, and I imagine they were, but we don't know. And the scripture tells us to show kindness and hospitality to strangers because you never know when one might be an angel. Somebody has asked, do we have guardian angels? Well, here's the answer. Ready? Definitely, maybe. Um, Jesus says, speaking of children, see that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven... Their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. It's that verse that has inspired the concept of guardian angels. But it does say that these children, that they have angels. Their angels see the face of my Father. So with 100 million angels and maybe 10,000 times that number, I think there's no shortage that God uses his angels in our lives. Someone has said, do we become angels when we die? No. There's no scripture that speaks of that. They are, these are different created beings. Humanity and angels are not in the same category. So when you think about someone died and they became an angel, that is not biblical. Psalm 8, 3, on verse 4, says, What is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings or the angels and crowned him with glory and honor. Should we pray to angels? No. Should we worship angels? Never. Could we be tempted to worship angels? Yeah, sure. <clears throat> but we shouldn't do it. In Colossians 2.18, don't let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. You know, the Apostle John, I mean, this is the Apostle John. 
the disciple John, one of the great leaders of the early church, when he, I heard and I saw them and I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. So even John, at the sight of this glorious angel, chose wrongly. He chose to worship. And the angel said, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers and the prophets and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Say that with me. Worship God. The worship team will come forward, please. Once again, I want to say, as we delight in the fact that God has angels that he sends to minister to us, to protect us, to guide us, we're largely unaware of their presence. And my hope and my prayer is that as we come into the Christmas season that we would see the incredible activity of angels in the Christmas story. They were on hyperspeed, man. These angels were everywhere with messages. And, and we're going to talk about that later. But the heart is that any time you consider the angels or their role or their purpose in your life, that we would simply stop and give glory to God that our hearts would be full of praise going, what an incredible God we serve, not how incredible these angels are. That the created angels would, would fill our hearts, would they help us to see the awesomeness and the glory of our God. And you know, I don't know, maybe some of you have had what you believe are encounters with angels. If you have, I'd love to get an email from you this week. I want to tell some stories next week of how God has used angels around the world. And if there's any time that, that you felt like you've encountered an angel, drop me an email. I'd love to talk to you about that. Let me say a word of blessing over us as we end. Stand up, please. I pray that the heavens would be opened to you. That as with Christ in his baptism, when the heavens were opened, may God open the eyes of your spiritual heart. May the eyes of your heart be enlightened, be opened. May you see farther than your natural eyes can see. May our hearts be attuned to the reality, to the spiritual reality all around us. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. If you're our guest this morning, I'd love to meet you out at the Welcome Center. And if you'd like ministry this morning, anybody to pray.